Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 19. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Where are you with the Lord? Where are you? Are you walking with him? Do you know him? Are you born again? You know, and God knows, because all things are naked and open to him with whom we must give an account. Well, notice also the contrast. Again, in verse 12, John turns our attention from the eyes to the many crowns. Now, the last time that John saw Jesus wearing a crown was when? The crown of thorns that was plaited and placed on his head and blood began to to flow down his face. And now John sees Jesus wearing not just one crown, but many crowns, a diadem, a diadem that speaks of royalty. It's the crown of royalty, the crown of authority. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate authority and power and ultimate sovereignty. And notice again in verse 12, he has a name written that no one knows. In other words, he has a name written that no one knows. When we get to heaven, we are going to learn something about Jesus. We're going to learn something that we didn't know. Sometimes we think, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll know as we are known and all things will be revealed to us and we will know everything. Well, no, there are still things yet to learn that you will learn in heaven. A name which no one knows will know in heaven. And then notice in verse 13, he was clothed with a robe. Notice this, underline it in your Bible. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Now, remember last week we talked about this, the Jewish wedding feast. The bride, I told you, Jewish people would get married. The bride and the groom would go and tuck themselves away for seven days in the house that the bridegroom built next to his father's house. And they would tuck themselves away for seven days. It was during these seven days that they would consummate the marriage. And people would stand outside while they're inside. The guests would stay for seven whole days. And they would be inside consummating the marriage. The friend of the bridegroom would stand at the door. And he would wait to hear the words from the bridegroom, okay or not okay. If the friend of the bridegroom who is standing at the door says, not okay, then that means that the bride wasn't a virgin. And she could be stoned. She could be killed because she was not a virgin. If he said, okay, then the friend of the bridegroom would tell the people, okay. And they would have this big, big, big celebration of rejoicing and partying. 
But then also the, 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 the bridegroom would come out from the presence of his bride and he would present to the people the blood-stained sheets. And that was to prove what? That she really was a virgin. Now, it's interesting here in our text. Go back there to verse 13 with me. He, Jesus, was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. In other words, this is what happens in that whole presenting of the sheets, but in reverse. In reverse, it is he, Jesus, that has the garment of the bloody sheep. And it is his blood, not the blood of the virgin. It is his blood that was shed, that cleanses us, that washes us from our sin. Isaiah said it like this. He said, though your sin, listen, be as red as crimson, I will wash you whiter than snow. So it is his blood that washes us and cleanses us from our impurities. We are clean. We are pure. Not because of our own blood, but because of the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ. He is the perfect, flawless, sinless, holy groom who died for you and for me. Now, C.H. Spurgeon Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. I like that title. Concerning verse 13, he said it like this. He said, John saw one thing, more namely, his vesture was dipped in blood. This is the grandest thought about our master, that wherever he may be, he is ever noticed a red man wearing the bloody garment as the atoning sacrifice. He is at his best. We love him as we see the white lily of his perfect nature. But the rose of Sharon is the flower for us for its sweet perfume breathes life to our fainting souls. As the blood is the life of the body. So is his blood life to us, the life of the gospel, the life of our hopes And how I delight to think that though he rides the white horse, he has never stripped off the bloody shirt in which he won our redemption. Isn't that powerful? No wonder they call him the prince of preachers. Just powerful. This is a man who understands. Oh, how precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, say it with me, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's just the blood. It's his blood. We don't hear many sermons about the blood anymore. That's yucky. Don't talk about the blood. I mean, you're writing that's a little bit yucky, don't you think? No, 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 it's nothing but the blood. It is his blood. It is because his robe is dipped in blood that I'm able to be saved and that you are able to be saved, that you are forgiven, that you are clean and washed from your sin. Nothing but the blood. And then notice in verse 14, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. They followed him on white horses. Now, 
who are the armies that are following him? Who? The, very good. That would be you. That would be me. This is the church. Now Jude said it like this. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh. I like that. He cometh with 10,000 of his saints. When the Lord comes back, he's going to come with 10,000 of his saints. Between services, some, some sister, she came up to me and she went, she says, Oh my gosh, does that mean there's only 10,000 Christians going to be coming back with the Lord? Is that all there are that's saved? And I said, no, 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 no. That's just kind of the idea. It's like, it's like this unfathomable number that just 10,000s of 10,000s of 10,000s thousands of 10,000s, 10, thousands of 10, thousands, 10, thousands, 10, thousands, it's just a, a, a euphemism. It's just, it just a number. That, it's un, it's unimaginable how many there are. But we are coming back with the Lord, following him. Now get this. It is the Lord who is doing the fighting. We are not fighting. We are just kind of following him for show. For show, yeah, we're, we're not doing anything. We're just onlookers following Jesus in tow. Just to, just to look on, is he, Jesus, who is fighting and defeating the enemies? And how does he do that? Notice in verse 15, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the almighty, almighty God. And he has on his robe, and here's a name that we do know, and on his thigh a name written, say it with me, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a name we do know. He has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. How does he defeat his enemies? With his word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 tells us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we know from these two verses that the word of God is like a sword. Now, the sword that is spoken of in these two verses is a small sword. It's a tactical sword. It's a sword that is used in hand-to-hand combat. That is not the same sword that we see here in Revelation chapter 19. It's not the same sword. The sword that is spoken of here in Revelation 19 is not a small tactical sword. It's a big sword. It's a broad sword. It's heavy. This sword can do some serious damage. It's the big sword of the word of God, and it is powerful. It is the same sword that God used when he said in Genesis chapter 1, he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on to say, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And then God said, or God used the sword, and he said, let there be light. And there was light. Same sword. In the Hebrew, this phrase, let there be light and there was light, 
In the Hebrew, it reads, light be, light was. That's a powerful sword, the sword of the word of God. God spoke by his powerful word. And listen, Isaiah told us that God's powerful word doesn't return void. God's word will accomplish that which it is sent to do. And the one who has the sword coming out of his mouth is named the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In other words, he is the king over all other kings. He is the Lord over all other lords. And there is no one in higher authority than Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, in verse 17 of our text, we talked about this last week. We pointed out that chapter 19 is the story of two feasts or two suppers, and everyone's going to be at one or the other. Last week, we looked at the wedding feast. That was one supper, one feast. And then beginning in verse 17, we have the second, the feast of the birds. One is for the bride, the marriage supper of the lamb, and one is for the birds. It takes place at the battle of Armageddon. One is glorious and beautiful dinner, and the other is bloody and brutal. Notice in Revelation 19, verse 17, then I saw an angel. I, I find this statement fascinating here. I saw an angel standing in the sun. That's fascinating to me. I'll tell you why in a minute. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings. Circle how many times you see the word flesh. That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And then in verse 19, I saw the beast. That would be the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. It's fascinating to me that this angel is standing in the brightness of the sun and the angel is brighter than the sun. That, that's fascinating to me. He's so bright. He's standing in the light of the sun, and he's shining even brighter than the sun. Well, that tells me that this is a pretty powerful angel. And this pretty powerful angel, he says to all the birds of the air to come and feast at the supper of the great God. Now, briefly, in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are four suppers mentioned. First of all, we have the Supper of Salvation. We'll find that in Luke chapter 14, or you'll find that in your homework, your own time. Luke chapter 14, the Supper of Salvation. And then the second supper, we find Jesus sitting around the triclinium, which is a table, a three-sided table, at the Last Supper. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul the Apostle talking about the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. And then last week we talked about the Third Supper, the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And here we have the Supper of God. Four suppers spoken of 
in the New Testament. Now, the interesting thing is that if you reject the first supper, the second will mean nothing to you. And then you'll not be present at the third supper, but you will be present at the fourth supper. You see that? So it's interesting to me that everyone gets to be at at least one supper. One, some will eat and some will be eaten. Last week I asked you, I'll ask you again, would you rather do dinner or be dinner? Do dinner? Any takers? Do dinner? All right, good. Some will eat, some will be eaten. Now here we have, if you're wanting to kind of headline here at verse 17, this is the final showdown. It's the greatest moment of unity the world has ever seen. People unite in their hatred against God. The kings of the earth and their armies are gathered together in this huge valley in northern Israel called the Valley of Megiddo or Armageddon. When I was in Israel, I visited this Valley of Armageddon, and it is an incredibly vast and huge valley. Do we have pictures of it? Did we, are we able to? There, there it is. And, and that's just a small piece of it. It is, I had to take like three or four pictures just to kind of get the whole thing in view. It is an incredibly vast and huge valley. The Valley of Megiddo, located in northern Israel. It is in this valley, and we've talked about this in the past, in Revelation 9 and Revelation 16. We talked about this, that it is in this valley, in the valley of Megiddo, that a 200 million man army will assemble and gather together from the kings of the east. Then in Daniel chapter 11, you put those two chapters together, Daniel 11 tells us that the kings of the south, The African nations and the Arab states will band together and the northern armies are coming down from Europe to converge and fight each other. You see, Satan is going to use demons, demonic activity to bring all of these nations together into this one valley. And just as they are fighting each other, they'll all stop fighting. They'll look up and they will see, guess who's coming to dinner? And it's not Sidney Poitier. It's the one whose eyes are full of flames of fire. It's the one who is crowned with many crowns. It's the one who comes in riding on the horse. And there are ten thousands of ten thousands of us Christian folk right in behind. And then suddenly the armies of the world unite together to fight against Jesus Christ, which I find to be the ultimate in arrogance and pride. When we're talking about the God of creation here, we're talking about the God who said, light be, light was. And what, you think your feeble weaponry is going to defeat him? Now, Psalm 2 gives us an incredible insight into this scene at Armageddon. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords 
from us. The nations of the world use their technology, their bombers and their instruments to fight. And then notice the verse goes on to say in verse 4 and 5, He who sits in heaven shall laugh. Don't you love that? They're like loading their weapons and bringing in their fighter bombers to fight against Jesus Christ. And God says, ha, 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 you fools. That's what I would say. He doesn't say the Bible doesn't say that, all right? That's Rodney 1-1, one, one, all right? You fools. And notice, he'll laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them. You see, that's the sword of the word. He speaks in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. The world armies gather together to fight. No fight. Jesus laughs at him. Verse 20, then the beast, the Antichrist, was captured. And with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and, and those who worshipped his image. These two, the beast and his right-hand man, the false prophet, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. These are the first residents of Gehenna. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, that will be his word, which proceeds in verse 21 from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Before you close your Bible, this is like a heavyweight boxing champion match, if you will. Yesterday, is a brother in our church, and he is a kickboxer. So yesterday, he, he gave me a kickboxing personal lesson. And I'm telling y'all, that it got to be the hardest thing I have ever done. You know, to wrap your hands, you know, and put your hands, you know, in the gloves. You got on the gloves. And, and man, you know, y'all know I'm from Philly, right? And I'm like, dun 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 Adrian! Adrian! It was my moment. And it was so difficult. I mean, you gotta, the guy had me squatting out. Oh, it was awful. The pain, no pain, no gain. But, but this scene here, you know, it just kind of reminded me of that. This scene here is like a heavyweight fight. And, and here you've got the main event. The bell rings. Round one. The armies of the world, they come to center ring. Jesus comes to center ring. You know, okay, fight. One punch, they're out. But the punch is his word. Not like a real punch. That was just for a word picture. But one punch, one word from God, and the armies of the world are completely destroyed. The nations destroyed. The beast, the false prophet, all thrown into the lake of fire just by one word. And then the scriptures tell us that the blood will flow to the horse's mane It will be so much blood and so much slaughter that the blood will flow to the horse's mane there in the valley of Megiddo. 
Now, how did Jesus get the victory? How did he get the victory? How did he get them in the lake of fire? With his word. With his word. Just one word. The sword is his word. And he speaks that one word. And when God speaks, you know that commercial long time ago when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens. No. Amen. When God speaks, stuff happens, y'all. Everyone not only listens, but things happen at his word. So what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that we have a choice at what dinner we would want to attend. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.